Greetings and salutations, faithful listener. Today, as we record this, what is do you the mean, 20- faithful listener? I'm sure there's more than one. <laughs> I know, but the person listening right now is probably listening by the by one, like their headphones, maybe. Oh, uh, okay. I'm speaking to as if I'm speaking to one person. Okay, faithful listener. Uh, today is the 21st of March, uh, 2021. Before you know it, it'll be 2022, and we'll be celebrating another year of pandemic because Nancy will get into it. Nancy Hugo is here to tell you why. What's up? Well, first of all, I want to say that I think today is the first day of spring, and we talked last week about uh, springing ahead and falling back and all this stuff. Yeah, but this is actually the first day of spring. I always thought it was. I think I read where yesterday was, but who cares? The uh, flowers are going to start blooming. And for you people who are trying to dig yourself out of the snow, I feel really bad for you. That's not us. I'm in Phoenix and Dan is in Las Vegas and we have beautiful weather. But we did live in snow. So we have. We did. So that's why I don't. We the car out of snow. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the reason why I don't. But I wanted to talk today about those poor college kids who are just suffering so pathetically because they are they shouldn't go on their spring break and and go to the beaches and have the free-for-alls that they really want to. So I was reading an article and it said that the, these people are suffering because after all, they're missing out on all this fun and they've worked so hard in college and they just, they really deserve to spread their germs and get together with their friends. And of course they show pictures in this article of, you know, the half naked people on the beach with the booze, Really, people, why don't you grow up? This is the time of reality. You went to college because you were smart. So if you're that smart, why don't you realize the severity of COVID-19, put your damn mask on, stay away from the crowds, and start doing what you're supposed to do. You know, think about the people who have lost loved ones to covid We've had over 500,000 deaths, and your big thing is to get on the beach and play with your friends. Well, it's about time that you um, were hit in the face with reality. I'm sick and tired of these people who are whining about wearing masks and they can't go out with their friends. And and we're talking here, two, three hundred people sitting there on a beach having nothing to do with playing with each other. It's ridiculous and I'm tired of it. So uh, I am living in the same uh, COVID scenario that you're living in and I'm not complaining about it. I wear masks. I had my two shots. I stay away from crowds. I don't have to now, but I'm certainly not going to look for 200 people sitting on a beach. So I think I've had my say. I think these people should start realizing what life is all about. That's it. I'm done. Fair, fair enough. Um, Yeah, I would tend to agree. I, I live in Las Vegas and yet I Basically, I've made this reference before. I've basically been like uh, Matt Damon in The Martian. I am by myself. I've grown my potatoes. I'm very rarely interacting with other people. Uh, And there's, uh, I'm reading, and when I say reading, I mean I'm listening to an audio book. I don't know if you heard that just now, my phone telling me something. Uh, But I'm pulling up the name of the, I checked out the, the library. I've been reading a lot of books. The Art of Impossible by Stephen Kotler. It's an interesting, it's a lot of, he's very excited about the topic of uh, doing things and flow and, and mindset and all this stuff. It's not a, it's, it's more of a, what's possible if you put your mind to it, not, not in a self-motivational way, but in a scientific, like, here's what happens when you are in this scenario and your brain reacts like this. And so he gets, for better or worse, he gets very nerdy about the terminology and the you know brain chemicals and the frontal lobe and the cortexes and all. And the reason I'm getting to this is he makes a huge point throughout this book, which is forever. It's been several days of going out walking, listening to this guy going on and on. He makes this very, uh, over and over again, this point about how education is aimed at you know from age four or five to 21 he's like but your brain doesn't form the 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 uh prefrontal lobe uh 
components that are responsible for making good decisions until you're 25 or so, so that most of our education is like this and it's emphasizing. You know, if that's true, I hate to interrupt, but if that's true, what the heck are we letting 18-year-olds vote for? (laughs) Well, right. That's that's the thing is um, the science of brain development and social interaction and all that stuff doesn't necessarily, I'm, I'm not getting at that because I'm not qualified to discuss that, but it may or may not align with uh, legal, moral, ethical. So yeah, some of this stuff is just based on like, oh, when can we get people to come outside and start drinking? But you know what that goes and- along with? Hate to interrupt again, but I seem to be on a roll. Uh, that goes along with an age does not equate with maturity. You know, just because you're 30 doesn't mean you're mature or smart. And you could be 18 and be more mature than some 30-year-olds. And, you know, so it's not a um, written in stone. But I've seen a lot of people who aren't mature at 40. And and I've seen a lot of 70-year-olds who aren't too smart either. So he's he's tackling the the chemical, the, the neurochemistry and the structure formation so the so the biological maturity of of brain and how it responds to things like and uh, we were talking about this before the show things like Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok all these like hey I'm seeing people my age doing better than me or happier than me I want to feel that too. And, oh, I got some likes on my picture. I, so, so the, the entire brain chemistry of, of, um, uh, desire and the feeling that you're missing out FOMO, uh, and the dopamine rush of some, oh, somebody liked my picture and, oh, look, I have a thousand followers. All of that brain chemistry at a young age is detrimental to good decision-making and, I don't know if it's 25 for everybody, but it, his theory is, or his, you know, the science that he's referring to says somewhere around 25, you start to realize that there are consequences or you weigh the longer term effects, or you start to put things in a more reasonable perspective. So I would say how many 30 year olds are going to spring break? Like I got to go. I'm going to be 30, 29. I'll be 30. No, those, those are the people that are going to the casinos because they have to gamble. That is true. Uh, there, although there's yeah, a pick your playground. There is, I, I'm going to say that clearly there's a, there's a refractory, like, like a spring, right? A spring has been pushed down for so long and now it's like, Oh, I can finally go. And the spring goes, boy, and you're like, I'm going to, Gonna go to Vegas and. I I feel that those are the people who aren't mature. They can't see the big picture. They are insecure. And we're raising a bunch of people who are insecure. They're looking too much on social media. It it says right here in this article, they see Snapchat and Instagram stories, and sometimes I wish I could be there. They're like a bunch of babies. And I think once you get past twenty-five, you're going. Well, I have to gamble. I mean, that's my release time. I have to go. Yeah, but where's your mask? I mean, you don't care about anything but yourself. So it's a right. bunch of self-centered people that are filling up uh, this earth, or at least there, America. There is probably some correlation between that brain chemistry transition and the actuarial tables that make insurance rates go down at age 25. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, because. Yeah. Uh, on balance, typically a 25-year-old birthday, 25, 25th birthday is is some line of demarcation between irrational chaos and uh, reflective decision-making. For uh, some people. A, for some people. Well, yeah, how well, many that's, people that's drive when they're drunk and they're over 25? A lot of people. Sure. But yeah. you can't yeah, – statistics are about populations, not about individuals. So – but I'm just saying, so the, the the point where people start to say, oh, you know what? I don't have to go to spring break. I mean, there's there's an entire mentality about, oh, if I don't walk, there there's a, I just saw an article about some some girl at UNLV, so, but so it could be anybody, any student. The headline is, I cried when I found out that UNLV will allow a live walk 
for graduation for uh the, the i guess may right may or june yeah so i must i must walk for i don't know if you remember when i graduated i was like yeah okay uh sure my graduating class was 113 people i think and i had known since the first day of school i'd be sitting next to kevin so because of his it was alphabetical so are you like, talking yeah, about high okay. school or college 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 oh, oh, UNLV sister- is a your sister you decided on her graduation day, she didn't want to walk. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. So she's, she was past that already. She didn't need to walk with her friends. So, well, I mean, there, so there are different I, you know, people. Yeah. 20, 21-ish when you're graduating college, but there's like, how do I assign the value? You know, I, I mean, I wasn't really excited about people coming to visit, although several people from the extended family showed up and we all went to dinner and it was, it's like a headache and it's like, hey, I graduated either way. Yeah. So similarly, well, we make a big thing of it. It's society that's actually running this. Society, social media—they're making people feel insecure, yeah. lonely. This feeling of desperation—you know—it's like get over it. People have gone through pandemics in the past. You'll survive. But let's make a big thing of it. The media does it. Everybody does it. I think where a lot of—well, you can't say a lot of people. Well, I think. Many people are disgusted with the way the media treats this. It's it's a political pandemic. You know, just, you know, yeah. take it day by day. And if you follow the rules, we'll get over this and we'll get back to where we were. Maybe not mm-hmm. 100%, but if the people keep insisting on getting in groups, going to casinos, going to the beaches, they're only dragging this whole situation on longer than it's necessary to be yes. dragged on. Well, I think I'm yeah, getting like, my point across. I'm a little yeah, aggravated yeah. about this. Well, like, well, because you and I have both, and we both know people as well who have been serious about staying home or you know mitigation measures. Mm-hmm. And it's not convenient. It's not easy. It's not been a joy. And as I mentioned, I, I live in Las Vegas. I haven't. Uh, I I walked to the Smith's grocery store, and I went. And I, I volunteered at a vaccination pod for five different days. That was the furthest, that was those five days were the, the furthest and the most often I've been away from home for a year. Right. So, but so, so in exchange for that, I have not been sick. I'm confident that my vaccination status is uh, helping. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, I didn't say like, oh, I already had it. I hope this still works or whatever. Right. So, um, in exchange for that, I've been inconvenienced, but I'm also not sick and I didn't transmit the virus to someone. And, um, I would like to think I'm part of what will eventually be the end of this. And I think we were talking before the show about this too, in China and elsewhere in, in cultures where this is more, more, uh, it's just more people reflect more on, not universally statistics again, but people in China, if you're sick, you wear a mask. That's like a normal thing. And if you're in Taiwan or Hong Kong and there was SARS a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. many years ago, oh, okay. We're not doing a buffet style or, or dim sum style. Like, you know, food is accessible to people with breathing and and what. So they basically changed their culture to be safer. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the way it is. And now they um and now okay uh so now they um, um january 20th was the first time i sent the, the note to shang and i said hey have you heard about this virus from a couple days after that when things got locked down where she was to two months later suddenly they're okay and they can go outside. But two months was like, you can only have one person from your household go to a grocery store. You have to change your life to accommodate this situation. Um, in the, uh, in, in the city of Wuhan, in the, what's the province? It's, um, who, uh, I can't remember. It's not, it's not Hunan. It's the North of that. Um, uh, which province is it? I wish I could help you, but I know nothing about China except Beijing and uh, Shanghai. But basically, 
basically Wuhan had extra lockdowns because that was the epicenter. But, you know, so Shang spent two months at home. Uh, you can only go outside. One person could go outside and get food. And so they, as a country and as a culture, were like, uh-uh, this stops right here. And you, you can enter politics and, and disclosures and whatever. But the fact is, once the infrastructure acknowledged and formulated a plan and executed, that was it. And two months later, they're, and they're still vigilant and they've done little small targeted lockdowns. And if you have a fever, you're not getting on any sort of public transportation or plane or bus or anything. They check your temperature and they do contact tracing. So for better or worse, uh, the, the Asian side of the world, Taiwan, Hong Kong, New Zealand, I don't know about Australia right now. They may or may not be having another surge, but the fact is that the countries that took it very seriously and the people that cooperated, I think are doing better as far as outbreaks and whatnot. And we have America with, uh, I'm not wearing a mask if I don't want to. And that's it. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think it's that <laughs> if, if the house is on fire and somebody says, Hey, you got to get out. I'm like, eh, I have a right to stay in my house if I want to. Okay. Well, that's not going to work. And of course, we know there are people like that. There are people who are going to do what they're going to do no matter what. No matter what the consequences, they're yeah, stubborn. Hurric hurricanes and tornadoes are probably a better example of that, right? Like, yeah. Your house was, to was torn away. Was, the tornado took your house. Why are you moving back? Because well, it's my property. I'm moving back. Yeah. And then, the of course, house. they have to call 911 if their phone works because they have problems. But that's another story. But anyway, yeah. So it's just frustrating that people... Um, are too eager, possibly too selfish, maybe, to... Well, to we have the me generation. They're selfish because they have been, most of their life, their short life, it's all about them. It's whatever they want. And, of course, the media and, and um, a lot of the businesses cater towards these young people because that's where the money is. Follow the money. That is true. The 25 to 34 or something, whatever that demographic is, people mm -hmm. who spend money. The So when I was at the pod, many of the, so uh, Las Vegas had a 70 plus tier mm -hmm. to start. So when I was uh, in the city of North Las Vegas, had their point of dispensary or distribution. So I worked there for the five days. And so all of the people there were either first response, firefighter, police, or mostly elder residents and they all said the same thing. They're like, yeah, I, I would rather not get sick. And some of them said, I don't want to get sick again because they had already actually survived a COVID infection. So they were like, yeah, of course. And these are people that were in with walkers and wheelchairs. Or hey, let's go back to what you just said. You said, well, I've had it before. I've survived it. Now I'm here to get my shot. How many people have you heard say, I'm not getting the shot. I've already had it. I'm immune. Yeah, I think. And is there a proof that that is true? No. So I think a glaring problem. I think we talked about this last week or the week before. So H1N1, uh, the Spanish flu. If you look through history, which I have, there there are still a lot of unanswered questions about how the Spanish flu unfolded. Well, whether it should even be called answer. the Spanish flu. There shouldn't be any, any unanswered questions because the 18-year-olds, they know all the answers. Just right, ask yeah. them, right? But you know, that was 100 years ago. So people who right now are thinking that this is the, this, the normal everyday flu influenza virus, they're, you know, the, it's, it's almost the same as people who are the, the, uh, the, moon, the moon landing hoaxers. They, they apply earth physics to the moon. They're like, oh, that the flag shouldn't do that, or hey, how come this moved like that, or how come the you can't see any stars? Uh, yeah, because you're thinking about being in the Earth's atmosphere with Earth gravity, not uh, so. Same thing, you know. This is not the influenza virus; it's different. It's only been around for so long. I was obviously uh, watching this week in virology. Of course, you were. They have this week. I didn't finish it as a two-hour episode. I only I watched the first twenty minutes. This is, I got to sit down for this one, but 
they have uh, a woman on there. She is the second longest uh, do in research years. I don't know how you. So there's one of her colleagues has been researching coronaviruses longer, but so she's the second longest tenure researching the type of virus that is SARS-CoV-2. So she's on talking about research and about. So she's been doing this for decades. I don't know since. Because the common cold is coronavirus and all that. So, so researching this spiked protein virus, second longest in America, at least. And she's like, oh, there's plenty to know. There's, we, we don't even know the half of it. There's so much to research into the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Variants and all that stuff. So, yeah, the, I, I don't trust any. If, if I'm seeing somebody post on Facebook about their, uh, <laughs> I heard. I'm not going to, you know, I, I just block them at this point. I don't, or asking I don't, their Facebook friends, what do you think I should do? That's my favorite. Yeah, those are, those people are idiots. So, yeah. Anyway, I just am doing my thing. I, uh, our friend Daniele in Eindhoven, but he's from Assisi, Italy. He's like, ah, I don't want to get the AstraZeneca. I hope I can get the Johnson Johnson because AstraZeneca is showing some problems. But at the same time, he can't go to Italy because Italy's locking down. They're having outbreaks. And wasn't AstraZeneca, Italy using AstraZeneca too? Most of most of Europe is using AstraZeneca because of that was what the agreements were for for acquisition, for you know, committing to dosage allocations mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. So Oxford AstraZeneca is uh controversial right now. Yeah, because it causes blood clots. Is that true? It may or may not. I don't know. What's what is your? Uh, I asked on Facebook, and nobody seemed to be able to point to a study that was. Oh, I'll go on my Facebook because a lot okay. of people they know everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like a joke in it's, itself, right? It's similar to plane crashes, right? If you only hear about plane crashes, do you think plane crashes are like the most dangerous form of transportation? But you know. For every million people that got an AstraZeneca shot, how many people have had any issues? And But those are the ones you don't hear about, the people that had no issues, right? There's no news well, is not news. You know, just like they don't tell you how many people really have gotten through the coronavirus and, you know, survived. We don't know that. At least I haven't heard they it. They don't. They should publish the R. They only publish the deaths, which is removed, but they don't mm-hmm. do the recovered. Because in the SIR model, which everybody remembers from hearing about a year ago, the susceptible infected and now there's a sire model so it's susceptible infected exposed and removed so s-i-e-r and removed could either be dead or recovered and presumed immune so you're no longer susceptible but so these numbers are all you can dig dig in and find them you know if you find number of cases minus deaths then that's recovered ideally over time mm-hmm. right Right. So, uh, reporting and transparency of reporting and lack thereof has led to conspiracy theories that are problematic. So, you know, what are you going to do? I, I live in a city that's built, according to Penn Jillette of Penn and Teller, uh, built on the inability of people to do math. So, there is very simple math that suggests you should stay home and let this thing, you know, not not magically course. not magically disappear but the the way you stop a virus from spreading is you don't have exposure <laughs> the e in the SIER model so if you bring exposure to nearly zero then you stop transmission hmm. but well, we don't on do that, that we, note, we maybe, open casinos and stuff so on that note maybe uh, people would like to hear more about what we were talking about last week and i also brought up the fact that we were going to mention worky Uh, on my other podcast, Home Design Chat with Nancy. So why don't we uh, meander over to that? Worky. So uh, three and a half years ago, I think, when I was at CES, I saw that smart desks were becoming a thing. They were a sea of different booths full of desks that go up and down. And I said, "That's, uh, that's it. That's a smart desk, up and down. And they're motorized and they can remember. It's like having a seat in your car that remembers the, you know, like, oh, I I need to be closer to the steering wheel, but my 
whoever else drives the car has to move back. So it remembers the seat position. You're like, okay, what else? Oh, that's it. So to me, that that's a good beginning. And then you extend that into people with special needs or certainly over the last year, people who have been thrust into working from home or learning from home without the t- you know kitchen table only goes so far. Uh, so starting with the smart desk idea, what does it really mean to have a smart or you know tech oriented or tech augmented work surface, workspace, workplace? And that probably will extend into business offices, but may also include the special needs crowd and students, especially young ages and what, what, what was missing over the last year. So uh, a lot of what I did at Intel in the maker community was working with people that as young Diana Veronin said, uh, you have a problem and you learn what you need to learn to solve it. So people have learned. She was the young lady who had her own project by herself. And then she's at MIT right now. So she was 15 back then. You were mentoring her? When we had our America's Greatest Makers reality show produced by Mark Burnett and Intel. Did she win? Um, it, the prize, no, but life, probably. <laughs> I mean, she went on and project? met met uh, President Obama and did some stuff with the White House maker stuff. And, cause oh, the, she did? The Obama administration was more pro-maker. Uh, demonstrably pro-maker, politically, who, whatever. But so, yeah, there was more, yeah, more let's action. Let's face it, um, the Maker Fair and that fell apart anyway. So, Yeah, Make Media had some financial problems. But generally speaking, she won. I, I told her, I said, ah, you're going to, much better things are going to uh, <laughs> fall on your lap as a result of just this this experience. So, and What I was think her, ex- what was her uh, invention for making life she, better? She had had a relative who had a stroke and during the recovery, there was, there's therapy, you know, exercise, physical therapy and whatnot. So she wanted to have a wrist band, a quantified self, sort of a Fitbit style uh, device with software that would help with the rehabilitation of the person after uh in that case, a stroke, but anybody who's going through a physical therapy, so tracking motion and range of motion and, you know, schedule, like, are you doing your, your exercises and whatnot? So it was an interesting idea, but the take home was that, because I mean, it's, it would be next to impossible to have a, a 15 year old person invent a device that would become a medical device. Not impossible. Certainly we had makers that were making respirators and, uh, no ventilators, sorry, ventilators. Mm-hmm. So there was that whole make movement to get, which it turns out ventilators are the worst thing you can do to somebody, <laughs> whether it's professionally made or not. But anyway, so, so all that aside though, the, the story for her was that she was a one team of one. 15, I think she was the youngest or second youngest. Um, I think there was one person younger, but on a team of other people. Mm-hmm. So she was by herself. Uh, her family was very supportive. So they're kind of a maker family. Um, so yeah, so now she's at MIT, like I said. So she's uh, she's got a bright future ahead of her. But the take home is that people like that who have been watching their parents or their family or themselves or colleagues in classes, whether it's young or old students, certainly there have been lessons learned. So the, the, the idea with Worky as an, a big open source, not a single project, but it's more like, uh, how would I, there are projects like Hackster, it's more of like an infrastructure for, for connecting projects and there are companies you know, I've been in touch with IKEA, for example, and IKEA has a, a smart home division, and IKEA has always been a some assembly required company anyway. So I I have reached out to them over the duration of this, like, hey, are you doing this sort of thing? And 
there's always going to be interest from the commercial sector about, oh, what kind of new products could we make? So this is a question of, well, how do we turn ideas? Uh, I think I said this already another time, but it, how do we enable and encourage ideation, innovation, and implementation so that, you know, oh, I wish my desk would go up and down with motors and remember the height. Well, that's been done, right? So what's the next innovation? Well, you get to that by saying, what's the idea? What do you what do you think? And then when somebody says, "Oh, you know, it'd be cool as if uh, if I could if I could write on my desk and it would record what I wrote, so I could take a note or whatever." And then, it would, oh yeah, okay. Well, what? How would you turn that into a functional? I don't know about product, but how would you make an an implementation of that so you could actually try it out? And there's you know cameras and and Arduino and Raspberry Pi boards. These are all very cheap. So how do you how do you connect ideas and action? And when you put it all out in the open source community and you have people that can jump in and collaborate and, and ideate, uh, what, what falls out of it will be uh, good ideas that turn into things you can actually use. And this has already happened. This is how the world works. This is not new. So co-creation is the big thing. So the, the entire idea with Worky is to focus some co-creation effort between uh, the maker slash hacker community and companies and people in between. And to, and I, I think I mentioned the, yeah, the, the special needs aspect of it. Does a smart desk really work for someone in a wheelchair or who can't sit for very long or you well, know, whatever? If it goes up to upside, yeah. If it goes up and down and they're in a wheelchair, I would say, yes, that works for them. But there's got to be other things that this worky is offering. But here's, well, the problem is that neither you nor I are wheelchair bound. So you can say that, but you cannot actually know that. So part of the challenge is to involve people with particular needs and use cases so that they can be a part of the co-creation process. So instead of saying, I'm sure that'll work. I literally, uh, earlier this the week, I literally heard of uh, a person commenting on a wheelchair that can, it's a four-wheel wheelchair, but it can go up on two wheels to go upstairs and whatnot. And they said, yeah, the problem is that people that actually use wheelchairs can't use this device because it really only works for people who have been injured, but, uh, but who have this particular range of motion right so she went into more detail but like for 80 percent of wheelchair users this is not a useful product yeah but, it looks so exciting when the average person sees an advertisement for oh, it. yeah wow and we've talked because i saw that last year wow it goes up and down stairs that's amazing number one the cost is probably prohibitive the insurance company probably would not pay for it unless you fit the criteria, which probably not too many people, as you were saying, fit. So it's a pie in the sky type of invention. And it makes, it makes one person feel good. But if you yeah. design a product in a cubicle and then you go, Hey, how come nobody wants to use this cool wheelchair? And then the answer is, well, because 95% of the wheelchair using population cannot use the device that you built, then you, you have nobody using it. So insurance companies, so there's a whole feedback loop of, viability and so some the the worky project is going to aim at uh putting together methodologies and and um, participation so get ideas and entities whether it's people or companies right like like oh i have this idea if only i had a raspberry pi that i could use and maybe somebody at raspberry pi would say oh we can Let's put some some hardware behind projects like this. Danny, and, would you please explain Raspberry Pi as opposed to Apple Pi? <laughs> I mean, you know, the average person, me, I'm going. What is an a Raspberry Pi? So I want to say I should know this because Pi Day was just the other day, and I think Arduino Day is this week. Oh, Pi Day but, as in P-I Day. Oh, yeah, yeah that's 3. right. 4. Yeah. So Raspberry Pi, though, I think it was eight years ago. Uh, Arduino, I think, is 12 years old. 
and Raspberry Pi was maybe eight or so. But either way, so Broadcom had ARM parts and ARM chips are what you find in your phone. And they said, hey, we can take the old parts and we can, well, we'll form a nonprofit organization. We'll call it the Raspberry Pi Foundation. And we'll give them the chips so we can, we don't have to charge the foundation and we can write them off as a charitable donation. And then they can make these products. So they, they got some engineers and they made these little boards. So the first Raspberry Pi, $35, you get a reasonable amount of computing power with some pins you can attach things. And so, oh, wow, this is a cool little device. So fast forward to now, the Raspberry Pi 4 is like a, you, you could build a completely usable computer out of it. And I mean, you always, that's always been true, but they, they've really been keeping up with technology at that price point. So you can get the same price point, but modern. And when I say modern, they're always going to be a little bit trailing edge because they take, they take older parts and they put them on these boards. So, so, and I'm really simplifying it there. Somebody can argue that, oh, they're, they're actually this kind of an arm part of it, but either way. So when you make the computer boards out of parts that you're going to throw away, otherwise you can sell them for $35, not $350. So, Raspberry Pi has enabled yet more open computing. It's an open source design. You could literally make your own Raspberry Pi. You can get the parts if you can, or you can extend the, the existing part. They have the compute module. So it's the same version that you can plug into your own board. It's, so they've really enabled this entire ecosystem of creation, like co-creation or ideation or innovation. So it's a question of... Um, spreading the Legos out and seeing which ones you want to assemble. And there, there are entities like hackster.io or, um, well, the, the entire maker movement. There's the entire Arduino kind of community. So there are websites and there are countless YouTube videos. There's Instructables. So all these pieces and parts are putting um, all of the various technology and ideas together. And I have not yet seen one focused on workspace, workplace, work surface. So it's really that, right? It's how do we take all this energy that's just floating around and sort of focus it on, we just went through a year of this. You know, how, do you, how do you work better, smarter, faster? Not everything is going to be solved by a speaker that will tell you what time it is. Oh boy, we know that. Hey, uh, so a question from um, somebody who is not techie. Do you have to be a computer engineer to use Worky or can the average It's not, Worky is not a product. It is not a thing to use. So it's, it's a project to have people turn ideas into tangible things. You could call them products or projects, but it probably won't make sense to anyone who's never done this before, but to those who have, uh, it helps to have some experience maybe to, to kind of get what's going on. So there, there are entire universes of people out there that have been building things, especially during the, the past year. Mm-hmm. Some have made, you know, a lot of, a lot of machine learning and a lot of, uh, image recognition and, and AI and they may or may not have done it along the lines of improving the workspace workplace experience. But the goal here is to create a community around that focus. And as part of the Casa Nunzia project, it basically says, let's start enabling and encouraging those, the three eyes, the ideation, innovation, implementation, so that you can get ideas out of, you know what somebody should do? They should have a, they should have a smart desk that goes sideways and up and down or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So right now these projects are all sort of out there if there are any. So case in point, I will say we were at KBiz 2019 Mm -hmm. and we went to the BSH booth mm-hmm. and the ironically named Pi project, P-I-E, which was basically an Android cell phone pointing down at the counter on a little arm 
and uh, as in like a like a projector arm and right. it would project an image onto the countertop and then it would use the camera to detect if you were drawing on the you know, like dragging things and so it implement a sort of a touch screen interface but on your countertop and you could put a cake under there and cut it and it would draw the little equal cut line so you could have a little cutting guide recipes whatever and they kind of it was a platform without it was a solution without a problem right like i, I don't i can cut a cake i don't need this so what yeah, is this? But there were other things I remember that were more interesting than cutting a pie or a cake. Yeah, but it was really a technology demonstration without, um, without compelling use cases. So, if that was to be a, if somebody said, "Hey, I could take that and uh, a a a touch technology on the on the surface, like uh, the the." the uh, conductive ink from Bear Conductive. And I've already talked to the CEO, the founder of that company, the CEO. Um, he loves the idea of like, oh yeah, turning ideas into things in the world. Yeah, of course. So people in this space would get it. Like, oh, can I use the pie from BSH and the conductive ink and the LEDs from here? And so, so how, but there's no, there's no community for that right now. And so I just mentioned Hackster and Instructables. There are those communities, but this is, those are unfocused. So if you were to take, say, in your industry, there's that living in place, right? Mm -hmm. They have built, they have a product, which is their training and certification, but there's also the value of the, of the focus that, okay, there's expertise and they are surrounding themselves with other experts in under an umbrella that's called the living in place, whatever it is, agency, foundation, whatever. So you have to start with uh, a focus. Otherwise people are just doing their thing. And again, if you, if you're not involved in the maker or hacker communities, and I don't mean hacking banks, I mean the hackathons and the creative thinkers and the people that implement ideas, if you've never done that before, this probably sounds like what, why? But if you have done it before, then you're saying, oh yeah, okay, of course. So those are the first people I'm talking to to answer your question more directly is uh, if you have no idea what this is, then it may or may not be for you until you see what's going on. But the idea is to take people who are already doing this as a starting point mm-hmm. and focus energies and make connections and ideate. So turn ideas into other ideas that can eventually turn into things. And again, in the context of Casa Nunzia, there is no direction right now for people who want to take an idea and turn it into something that will help people who need it. So you get a wheelchair with that runs on two wheels and can climb stairs that won't work for anybody. Why did that happen? Because nobody has been working with Casa Nunzia, <laughs> right? Right. Well, there's a lot of things out there in the marketplace that really don't work. Yeah. I think anyway, in my opinion. And the infrastructure, I, I, uh, not to pick on living in place, but uh, when I was there, when we met with them, KBiz, at one point I said, do, do you have a pathway between the the living in place consulting and the, your customer needs and whatnot and, and the companies that are making the technologies that you're talking about so that you can say, hey, this does not work for, you know, fill in the blank. It doesn't work for people that need this kind of wheelchair. It doesn't work for people who can't press that button or issue voice command, you know, whatever, whatever the whatever the scenario is around a piece of technology, how do you feedback to the designers of that product that this is not working, especially for this population of potential users? And there is no path, not an easy one anyway. So when you have a banner over you that says Worky, and then over that one, it says Casa Nunzia, and you have people like the director of the, um, Living in first, no, no, not first. What is it called? Uh, in Kentucky. Um, oh, first build. First build. Yeah, thank you. When you have that guy was like, yes, this fits. This is exactly what we want to accomplish: is turning ideas into tangible things. And if it can be in under the auspices of an agency that wants to focus these efforts on develop, like I've said many times, developing technologies for people who need them, you will automatically get people's. Uh, that want them better products, right? Because you've you've elevated the bar 
for people who it's maybe a question of life and death or a quality of life, mm-hmm. but that product is now better for everybody, right? So, oh, I'm going to get uh, the smart speaker that understands me 100% of the time because this is designed for people who need it to make the right water temperature decision based on my inability to speak properly because of an injury or because of a, you know, a limitation. So if you can take that uh, bar, raise it, and you feedback information, co- the co-creation model is in involving your users in the development of technology. So, so yeah, Worky is uh, how many how many desks do you need that are called smart desks, but that only go up and down when in fact that technological advancement could be focused into real areas like, hey, all the kids that were working on their homework at home and they had to use remote learning, so cameras and microphones and whatnot, what didn't work? From what I've heard, you really want to know? It's, it's no. The kids. Oh, okay. Then I won't tell I you. Want, I want an organization to form around capturing what does and does not work for people in the workspace, workplace, work surface, and beyond, but in that general sector. I want to have a place where they can take those ideas and feedback and funnel them into an iterative design product to process to make better products instead of, man, I wish somebody would fix the way this thing works. And that's where the idea stops, right? Mm-hmm. So without without a focus point, so, so the Worky project is um, a focal point. Not to say that there won't be some cool things coming out of it. I mean, I have some ideas and, you know, but the goal of Worky is to not, not to turn out products, but to turn out um, producers, you know, Mm-mm. take people with ideas and, and put them in an environment where they can implement and connect them with other people who can help them. Yeah. So I understand. In, you're in looking fact, first build, first build does okay. something like this. Yeah. And I know you're, fr- so first build, if you have an idea, yeah, come and come and use our stuff. And then later, Hey, do you want to turn that ice maker into a product? with GE or higher now, or do you want to turn that coffee roasting convection oven into a, you know, so, that, so it's basically an, a fertile environment to, to facilitate the ideation, innovation, implementation loop. Yeah. So the whole key is to think outside the box. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's sort of half in half out, but certainly we have all over the last year encountered at least one thing as we try to accomplish, you know, working from home or learning from home or interacting with our distance relatives, physically distanced, anything where you're, cause you know, let's, let's broaden the term work into, I'm trying to pass the time, you know, artistically, or I'm trying to read a book or I'm trying to stream a, a live video production on YouTube and what, you know, whatever it is, filling a cook, cooking, Kitchen is a big workspace, right? You've probably told people that. Mm-hmm. The bathroom is arguably a workspace. You know, you do your thing when you go in there. You have you have a oh, mission. Yeah, yeah. That's so workspace, important workspace. Work, yeah, so workspaces are are can be a fairly generic term. So starting with the inspiration from the quote unquote smart desk, what can we really do when you point all the ideation of you know, the Diana Veronans of the world or the, the kids that are making mechanized wearable technologies, right? Or people that are using vision, computer vision to do image recognition and audio, synthetic speech, whatever. I just, stop. How to avoid that? Yeah, we should have Alexa as a guest on our show because yeah. she does a lot of talking. <laughs> Well, I can, I mean, we could do that. It would be annoying. You wouldn't know what she was going to say, but we could. Yeah. You know, she has no in. filter, huh? Well, I get, yeah. Well, it's not like some bad, it wouldn't be bad, but it just wouldn't be predictable. Right? It wouldn't be mm. sensible. The But, but there, there's a good example, right? Like shouldn't, by now, shouldn't these products work flawlessly for a veteran or who's been injured or a child who has, has some sort of limitations due to, uh, you know, birth defects or some other, you know, so, so these are, these are, uh, you would think 
like, oh, we have all this technology. We could totally improve the lives of people, but nobody's really focusing that. So part of the the challenge is to just raise awareness and say, hey, we're working on this stuff. Anybody want to join in? And, and there are already people who have expressed that. Oh, yeah, this totally aligns with what we want to do. Of course. Yeah. So. It just takes some ideas. It, it takes somebody to, to be the squeaky wheel, if you will, or to to organize it. Somebody who's not tired would be good. <laughs> somebody who's uh, quarantined in their house and they have a lot of free time. Yeah, although for better or worse, Las Vegas is not a great place for innovation. It's uh, So the, the advantage would be having something for CES to demonstrate. For Casa Nunzia, that's been a plan would be to have a to have a like an apartment or something with some some examples of co-creation, right? Like, hey, look, we made this microwave work better for someone who can't touch the touch panel or lighting or water temperature control or whatever the you know whatever collection of things, and how much better your design process can be when you involve the people that are using your products, and then someone who's not in a wheelchair or with a uh, that's that's the easy example, but somebody who can't walk as well, or somebody, I always give the example of the street corner. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, that there, the button, to, the crosswalk button is on the other side of a small uh, brick and and rock landscaping installation. Mm-hmm. So if you're on the, if you need the ramp to go into the street, if you're on a wheelchair or a walker or a cane. In order to hit the button, you would have to get up out of the wheelchair or step across this, you know, three or four feet of rock landscaping. I mean, big rocks, not, I wouldn't walk on it and I can walk fine because it's just, why? Why risk twisting your ankle or whatever? So if you're not completely ambulatory, it's ridiculous. So how is this a useful city installed, right? So the public works department of the city of Las Vegas did that and then they went home. So if they watch people use it, they probably say, oh, look, that, that person with the, the cane can't even, and the person with the walker, look, they're going to fall. Oh, that person in the wheelchair, forget it. They're, they can't do anything. So the co-creation component is where the value starts to, that's the Casanunzia side, but just generally, how do you, oh, let's, let's put it this way, with or without Facebook, people were always able to communicate with each other. So Facebook just made it easy. That right. not not necessarily in a good way. So working will make it easy, but not with the, all the input, implementation uh, problems. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 about having a a focus to start, and then where it goes from there. Sometimes that's where the ideation comes in, right? Like, oh, it'd be this would work better if. So, we have the power to do that. Yeah, well, that's actually how I started another company I had about twenty five thirty years ago, maybe, where I found it difficult to get a babysitter for my children. And I said, if only there was a place where I could just get a grandmother. And that's how uh, the granny company started. And that filled the need. So this is what we're the same thing we're talking about. There's a need. And if you can come up with some way to fill it, and it works, well, then you've got a thing. Right. And well, in your case, that was, um, you were monetizing the effort, which was, which is totally fine. You were, you were providing a very obvious value and the service itself, right? So the, the, the connecting of the clients and the, the, the grannies and all that, but yeah, Worky being open source is more, the starting point is not about monetization yet. Although nothing about participating in Worky prevents you from monetizing. So really Worky is the umbrella under the Casa Nunzia umbrella, but any real technological innovation would be, for my part, would be from really cool technology. So that's an, a for-profit LLC part of Worky. So it's really building your own, in my case, it'd be building my own playground for people and then come on in and play and then monetizing yeah. efforts moving forward. So it, it's a fairly modern scheme that fits in with a lot of the other things I talked about, Instructables work, uh, Hackster, the entire maker movement. Um, 
So it's a focus on the workspace stuff. But again, part of the Casa Nunzia, which we're talking about being a nonprofit venture, which opens up a lot of possibilities for working with government and other charitable organizations and the VA. And so. So um, the bottom line is, isn't the goal to make life easier with technology? Yes. Uh, there's there's a joke that you uh, nonprofit means you don't make money. That's not the case. Um, so structuring these efforts so that they are not that so that people can win without viewing it as a for a money grab, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, by opening this up as an open source project and as a nonprofit venture with inclusion of other projects and and interactions and coordination, like oh okay, there's a real value proposition like. I think in the granny company or rent a granny initially, if that was seen as, ah, oh, they're just trying to, they're just, it's a money grab. You're just doing this to, to put money in your pocket that may not have been quite as appealing and successful as if a mom goes on TV and gets interviewed and you're like, yeah, I needed a babysitter. And so I put this and this is how this works. And now we're doing it for other, and oh, okay, I can see the value proposition and I see the motivation. You can look at Simon Sinek. Why, start with why. Why am I doing this? To, to do good things and then later make money doing it, not right. to take your money first. Right. So anyway, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we'll see how things come together. Yeah. I'm still working on food truck stuff and, uh, can't have really should be seeing the light of day. Uh, oh, all let's these... talk about can't have next week. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. But yeah, there's, so all these projects, it's a, the, the, the solopreneur pathway is a, <laughs> is as rocky as that landscaping I was talking about earlier. Yeah. So. Well, in closing, I want to just say again that those spoiled brat college kids on the beaches should really look at themselves and, and think of other people, not themselves. Think about how spoiled they are. They're, um, they're just terrible. What can I say? I mean, I've said it before at the beginning. They're self-absorbed. They're worried about themselves and nobody else. And they're the ones who are going to be causing the cases to rise. So think twice before you put your bathing suit on and go in your uh, crowded beaches. I think I said that too much. And no. And to some extent, the people that are you know coming here to Vegas where I am or basically throwing caution to the wind, uh, it's it's like celebrating one mile before the finish line and not making it to the finish line, right? Yeah, because like you, you can did celebrate after. Yeah, you did something stupid. Maybe you tripped over a pebble and you didn't get to the finish line. So, yeah. I think people are thinking more of themselves than uh, society as a whole. So, um, I will probably uh, talk to the end of eternity about that one. So are we ready to say have a nice day? Uh, I'm sure people are tired of hearing about worky, so I could I could uh, get back to worky myself. Well, good. Me too. I got plenty to do today. I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the platform that you're using to listen to these podcasts. And don't forget to share them with your friends. You know, our great ideas aren't going to go anywhere if you don't tell your friends about it. Um, the word has to get out. I do my part, and I know so does Dan. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to nancyhugo.com. If you have any questions for me in particular, you can email me at nancy at hugofloss.co. If you have any questions for Dan, he's got his own email address, dan at hugofloss.co. We, uh, I guess I take this opportunity to also give a little commercial about my other podcast, is, uh, it's called Home Design Chat with Nancy. I've been doing it for four years. It's on 28 platforms. I talk about design, everything about design from the ceiling to the floor and everything in between, your outside uh, kitchens, your paint on the walls, your trends. Have yeah. we talked enough? Have, we, have I given myself a, another great commercial, Dan? Yes. Uh, well, you've been podcasting and for long and designing and implementing kitchens for longer. So that's um, worth a mention to be sure. And then 
I've I've talked about website. To me, a website is uh, essential and yet a ridiculous distraction to deploy. But website plus, uh, everybody's heard about Clubhouse and it's ridiculous. But there are various ways to do chatting to enable people to be guests or to chat, like ask questions in real time and whatnot. So looking at Telegram, which is a, uh, when everybody left WhatsApp, they went to Signal and Telegram. So Telegram is uh, is pretty cool. So hopefully we can try that out during the week and maybe our next show will be an experiment to see about bringing people uh, closer into live participation. So right. kind of exciting. No, you did mention websites and I forgot to mention my website. It's nancyhugo.com. There's a lot of great pictures on there. Uh, there's videos and all sorts of stuff. Hopefully you'll get some ideas from that. And also- and Don't forget, I, I was going to say Designer Circle. Yeah, I was going to say, and also I have another yeah. website, designercirclehq.com. And that has um, actually our podcasts on there, as well as um, different products, sorts of nice things. So you can visit both of those. I think I've been talking so much that I'm losing my voice. So I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> so I just want to say, wear your darn mask, stay out of crowds, stay safe, and have a great day. I couldn't have said it better myself, so I will not. Okay. Peace. See ya. Bye.